0: Well, good morning. It is great to have you joining us here online. Uh, Before we jump into too much of this morning, I do want to give you a quick update. Uh, Through the month of August, we were telling you that we were in the process of uh, raising dollars for Greater Trinity Academy. There was an individual that said that they would match up to $25,000, and we want to just let you know that We did it. Uh, You did it. We matched uh, the 25,000, so we were able to give 50,000 to Greater Trinity Trinity Academy, um, the school up in Everett that we're partnering with now, and uh, there's actually additional dollars that are continuing to roll in, and so super excited. We were able to tell them on Friday uh, that those dollars had arrived, and they are already putting it to work, and they've got kids coming to school already with the start of school happening, so uh, it's really cool that we're able to be a part of that. So if you were a part of donating to that, thank you so much. Um, it's going to do some great things. So we are thrilled to have you joining us online. Um, thank you so much for making it a priority. Uh, we recognize that uh, being here every week and joining us on, uh, online, that takes a commitment to you. And, and even in the middle of a pandemic, uh, we recognize that there are a lot of things pulling on your time and pulling on your attention. So so to be here, thank you. And, and I recognize, and, and nobody needs to raise their hand this morning, but I'm guessing that in at least one house this morning, uh, they're running that picture-in-picture thing, that, I, that I'm in the upper left-hand corner in a little tiny screen, and then, then the Seahawks are getting ready to kick off on the larger screen portion of that. I'm guessing that's happening in at least one house, and if that's happening in your house and I'm currently muted, just turn it off and watch the game, right? Because like, uh, I'm not that good at miming, and you're going to get nothing out of this. But So we're starting football season, and it seemed like the perfect moment to launch a new series called Emotions. Um, If you're a football fan, there's a lot of emotions that go through football season. But really what we know is that there's a lot of emotions right now just in life. I mean, if I think back over the last little bit, I can't recall a more difficult period of time for answering the simple question of, How are you doing? Right? Somebody comes up to you and asks you, I, I can't think of a more complicated moment in my entire life for answering that question. Somebody says, how are you doing? It, I pause. I hesitate. And there's all these thoughts going through my mind, and it's like, do you, do you really want me to tell you the truth? Or, or am I answering this like contextually? like Based on all the stuff going around, how am I doing? Is that, is that what you're asking? It's a complicated question. It's a complicated answer right now. Recently, I saw somebody post something, and, and basically what they said was, they asked, they said, describe in one word your emotional state. And then in parentheses, they said, uh, no cussing, no swearing. <laughs> so, so what would you say? How would you answer that question? I mean, if you're watching live and you want to chat in the, in the little chat box, let us, if you were to describe how you feel right now in one word, how would you summarize what that would be? And as I think back over that post and after, over that question, uh, some of the answers that people gave, people were saying, I just, I feel numb. Other people were saying that they feel angry. Other people were saying they're irritated. Other people were saying they're anxious. Other people saying that they're afraid. Other people were saying, I'm going pretty good. It's going well. For me, I think the word that sort of summarizes my emotional state right now with everything going on would be somewhere along the lines of sort of unsettled. It's like everything is unsettled. There's no, there's, where, where do we get a foundation? Where do we feel any, sort? it's just everything seems to change. I mean, even small things, even small things, it, it's really difficult. I mean, it used to be so easy to greet somebody, but now you, I don't know what to do. When, when you greet somebody, when you actually come across another person, it's like you're measuring that moment. I mean, yes, we're measuring like how far apart, but there's kind of figuring out the whole process. I mean, as you approach somebody, you're thinking, okay, is this individual like a strict six-footer? You know, like, are they going to, if I cross the line, they're going to be like, ah! Or, or maybe, as I approach somebody, maybe they're, of the, they're kind of of the mindset, like, this whole thing is stupid, and they're coming in for the hug, so then you're like, how do you? Or or are, are we going to do one of those awkward knuckle bump things, or maybe a foot Hello? I'm glad that hasn't caught on. I've tried it. You know, that was not good. And then it's like, okay, are, is this a masking situation or is this a don't mask situation? And th- it's just all these little things are so awkward, even in something as simple as greeting. And then we got the bigger things that cause us to feel unsettled. We, you know, obviously we've got all the economic uncertainty. We've got the racial tension. We've got the political division. I mean, our emotions are high. I mean... Mad people are really, really mad, and sad people are really, really sad, and worried people are really, really worried, and and happy people are not paying attention, right? If you see somebody that's really happy, you're like, I don't think you're watching what's going on, but our emotions are so strong, and they they are all over the map, and so what I thought we would do over the next couple of weeks is really try to dive into our emotions, And talk about and recognize that, see our emotions from a God-given perspective, because God has given us our emotions. They're from God. And what we know when we look at Jesus and when we begin to process who Jesus is, we begin to recognize that Jesus experienced emotions. And because Jesus experienced emotions, it means that the emotions that we experience, they're not wrong. Emotions are not a problem, and so as we look at these emotions, what we need to begin to begin to recognize is how did Jesus respond to those emotions? And so then when we begin to see that, we can begin to see how do I react and respond to the emotions that I'm feeling in a way that's Christ-centered, in a way that reflects who Jesus is. Now, if we do just a little bit of research into the idea of emotions and with Jesus, we begin to read that throughout the Bible, uh, Jesus displayed up to 39 different emotions. And when I read that Jesus displayed 39 different emotions, at first I was like, I didn't realize that 39 different emotions existed. Yeah. But then I started thinking back to the time when I worked with students early on in my career, and I recognized that in a conversation with a teenage girl, you could actually see all 39 emotions in about two minutes. So, so it's possible, and Jesus experienced 39 emotions. And Jesus was was God in the flesh, and as a result, he experienced emotions that humans feel. So let me give you a couple of examples from Jesus' life. Jesus is God. He would experience these emotions. And one of the situations was Jesus was looking out over Jerusalem. And he was looking at all of the people, and he recognized that he loved them dearly, and that God loved all of those people dearly, but then they were disconnected from God. And there was not the relationship that was intended. And in that moment, Jesus felt deep and sincere grief for the fact that they were missing out on what God wanted for them. Jesus oftentimes had to deal with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And these were the individuals that cared more about the rules and more about the law and less about people. And it angered Jesus at their hypocrisy and at the sin and at their lack of love. Another time, Jesus was meeting with 72 people that were, that were followers of his, and he was like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you out. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go tell people about me. You're going to tell people about my love. And he sends these people out, and then they came back, and they started talking, and they're like, Jesus, it was amazing. God was using us, and all these different things were happening. And, and what we what told us to tell people, it was working. And Jesus, in that moment, was overjoyed with the faithfulness that they displayed and that the faithfulness of God in their lives. Another time, Jesus had a friend that died. His good friend Lazarus died. And even though Jesus knew that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, that Lazarus was going to come back to life, Jesus felt the emotion of sadness. And we read that Jesus wept because his close friend had passed away. If we look at the story right before Jesus is nailed to the cross and before he's beaten and all the things that happened there, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying. And in these moments of anticipation of all that was going to come, and all that Jesus was about to experience, in that moment he felt alone, and he felt anxiety, and he felt overwhelmed, and the anxiety and the overwhelm was so great that he actually began to sweat blood. Jesus felt emotions. So today I want to focus on the emotion that Jesus feels when you and I feel the emotions of loneliness and hurt. There was a guy by the name of Luke that lived during the time of Jesus, and and Luke went out and he did a bunch of research, and he did a bunch of reading, and he talked to the eyewitnesses that watched what Jesus did and watched and heard what Jesus said, and then he took all of those eyewitnesses' accounts, and he began to write down and create what he wanted to do, a very accurate account of Jesus' story and of Jesus' life. So, in the book of Luke, we come to this portion where where Jesus has just now finished one of the most famous sermons of all times, the Sermon on the Mount. He's just talked to this big group of people, and now he's leaving, and the crowd's still following him, and they're all coming after him. And this is what the story says in Luke chapter 11. We're going to read the whole thing. It says this It says, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. That's huge right there. Don't let that her only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. "Don't cry," he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. "Young man," he said, "I tell you, get up." Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother great great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today these five verses show us some deep and sincere compassion through the emotions of Jesus so let's see if we can get a better grasp on what was happening right there because there's a ton happening and maybe we don't fully get it so Jesus Jesus is now walking after a long day of work like, he's just finished the greatest sermon in the history of the world. And for those of you that don't know anything about preaching, uh, I've read, I've seen some statistics that in a 30-minute message, it's the equivalent of working an eight-hour day. And I know you're thinking, okay, you're just standing up there talking. But, you, like, there's so many emotions in reading and thinking and... Po- So Jesus has just done that. He's just worked an eight-hour day. It's the best one, so it probably felt like 16 hours, right? So he was really at it, and so now he's walking, and there's a huge crowd following him. And the reason that there's a huge crowd following him is because they want more. They wanted Jesus to teach more. They wanted Jesus to perform more miracles. They wanted Jesus to give them more food, and they wanted Jesus to give them more and more and more, and they were constantly wanting more from Jesus, and in the moment of wanting more, and all these people, they come across a funeral procession. Now, now we don't really have a lot of funeral pr- processions right now, like, but, but you've probably seen them, right? And theirs would have been way different. Like, we, we have police that lead the way, and they block the intersections, and there's bright lights, and we have a long parade of cars that used to be more of a tradition than we have, but we, that happens still sometimes. But back then, they wouldn't have had all of that, but what they would have had is they would have had mourners, and when I say mourners, there would have been the people there that, that probably knew this boy or knew the mom, and they would have been there, but they would actually bring in professional mourners. And so it wasn't uncommon for them to actually pay individuals to show up, and they would play with flutes and tambourines, which I think about flutes and tambourines. Those don't, those don't sound very mournful to me, unless you play them wrong then I think they would be. So so their mourners are there, and they're playing the flutes, and they're walking the streets, and they're playing their tambourines, and all along the way, they're they're wailing. They're crying out loud. And there's this mass amounts of sadness from these professional mourners. And that's weird, and I know it's hard to imagine people being paid to mourn. But if you spend time on Facebook, we find some people that could probably do that job pretty well, right? Professional mourners. There's people that do it for free, right? So we've got these professional mourners, and and essentially what they're doing there is they are representing the deep grief that everyone is experiencing. And so that's what Jesus walks into. He walks into this extremely emotional moment, this very loud scene with all kinds of chaos going on. And there's a lot of things in this scene scene that we don't really know. Like, we, we don't really know much about this lady, this poor, grieving widow. We have no idea how old she is. She could be 23. She could just be this young mom. Or, or maybe she's later in life. Maybe she's in her late 30s. We, we don't really know anything about her. We, we don't really know how her husband died. Maybe he died in some sort of tragic accident. Or maybe there was some, some sort of sickness that, was, that he was dealing with for years. We don't know. We don't know what she's experienced. We don't know much about this boy. We know that Jesus calls him a young man, but, but we don't know how old he was. He could three years old, 12 years old. We, we just don't know. What we do know and what we can kind of assume is that, that likely he just died the day before. And the reason that we can assume that he just died the day before was because at this time in history, they didn't have all the embalming ingredients and different things that we have that can kind of preserve a body for a little bit. They didn't have the cooling elements And the climate that they lived in, when a person died, it would get rough pretty quickly. And so very likely, the burial would happen the very next day. So it's very likely that this mom has just lost her boy, like the day before. And so if we can imagine for just a second, this poor lady who's lost her husband, and now she's lost her son, and she's overwhelmed with grief. And experiencing the deepest pain. And then verse 13 says something amazing. It says, the Lord saw her. He saw her. Now it's interesting that if you read through the Gospels, the four different accounts of Jesus' life, there's about 40 different references where it tells us that Jesus saw somebody. And it's kind of funny to think, oh, he saw, like, didn't Jesus see everybody? I mean, what? I mean, except for the moments where he was praying, right? Because Jesus was a really good prayer, which means he followed all the rules, folded his hands, eyes closed. So in those moments, he wasn't seeing people, except for he did say watch and pray, so I'm not sure what he did there. But anyway, when the authors tell us that Jesus saw somebody, what they're telling us is he didn't just look at them, what they're saying is that Jesus noticed them. And we have to understand and we have to figure out there's a huge difference between looking at something and seeing something. Now, as a guy, and those of you that are guys that are listening, you probably recognize there's a lot of times in our lives where we look at something, but we don't see something. Where, where we look at something, but we don't notice something. Now, in my life, I, okay, so I'm married, so my wife, and then I have the opportunity to work with several women So so there's a combined notice of everything, right? They see all, and I tend to look at things and not notice anything. I tend to not notice when one of them gets their hair dyed, or their hair cut, or their hair straightened. So so I'm just going to lob out a little marriage tip, or for those of you that work with lots of ladies, like just two or three times a week, just just lob, wow, did you do something with your hair? Wow, your hair looks really good. I'm not sure what you did, but I like it. I mean, if you're wrong, at least you still said you like it. Or or maybe when you go into a house, guys, maybe you notice this. You go into a house. I I don't notice the wallpaper. I don't notice the cabinets. I don't notice the rug. I don't notice the wall decorations. And ladies notice it all. Go to a wedding. Weddings are the worst. I think they've calculated there are literally 43 million things to notice at a wedding. I tend to notice one thing, food or no food, right? (laughs) Like after a wedding, they're like, did you notice the flowers? Did you notice the bride's mom give the side-eye glance to the groom? Did you see the dresses? Did you notice the doilies? Did you notice the party favors? Did you notice what song they played at the beginning of the reception? I'm like, I saw none of that. Literally, the only thing that I noticed is that they were serving little smokies in those deli rolls from Costco. It was incredible, right? You're like, that was a good wedding. That I notice. Not Jesus. And what we discover is that Jesus sees us when we are hurting because he sees this lady in her desperate situation. Jesus looks at her, but he doesn't just look at her. He sees her. He noticed her. There she is, this, this single mom, who no longer has a husband. This, this widow who has lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. And in the middle of all of that chaos, and all of the mourners, and all of the grief, Jesus looks at her, and he saw her, and he noticed her, and he understand the emotions that she was feeling. He saw the depth and the profound pain that she was going through what you and I need to recognize is that that Jesus felt the same thing for her that he feels for you whenever you're hurting. He felt for her the same thing that he feels for you when when you are afraid. When you have that moment where you're not sure if your marriage is going to make it and you're scared. He feels that same thing for you when you're trying to pay your bills and you're not sure how you're going to get it done and you're scared of the moment. Or maybe when you're praying and praying and praying for your, for your child that seems to be making some crazy decisions and is breaking your heart and you're hoping and you're believing that somehow it'll be okay. Jesus feels for you in that moment the same way that he felt for this woman. And he noticed her pain and he saw that she was hurting. And Luke writes this amazing thing that happens when Jesus saw she was hurting. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed, with compassion. Essentially, what it was saying is his heart, there was no more room in his heart for the compassion that he felt. It literally was overflowing. The compassion couldn't be contained any longer. In fact, the the root Greek word that's translated out of compassion is the, it's a really cool word. You're going to want to like put this, type this somewhere. The word is splagna. Splagna. That's an amazing splagna. It it sounds like if you say it, splagna. It sounds like like that moment where you're eating something and it gets caught like right about here, and then you're somewhere between choking and like losing it. You're like splagna, right? Or or worse, I'll give you an even better example. That moment when you walk into a honey bucket, or like a porta potty, and they haven't done a good job cleaning it, and, and you smell it. And the smell is so strong that you can taste it, and you want to splagna. And, and I know, here's the, here's the crazy thing. That word splagna actually means to feel it in your gut, to feel it in your intestines. I mean, that's how strong of a word the Greek is using right here. The depth of his compassion was that Jesus was feeling it from the core. That's what happens with Jesus in this moment. This is what happens with Jesus when he sees you hurting. And we have to recognize that Jesus feels your pain internally. There was an article that was describing this word splagna and what it would actually feel like. And and it described it as this moment where you're driving your car. And as you're driving your car, you come across an accident. You see a wreck up ahead of you, and and you begin to notice, and you look over on the side, and you see that there's some people that are injured, and they're on the ground, and the first responders are dealing with them and working on them, and you're like, oh, man, that's terrible. And you're you're like, oh, man, I really hope that they're okay, and I hope that they, you know, you, you just kind of feel for them. And then all of a sudden, as you pull around, you recognize the car. And you begin to understand that not only do you recognize the car, but you know the people. And there's some people that you actually love. And in that moment, you experience splagna, the depths of your being. It's hurting in the gut of who you are at your core. And when Jesus saw this lady's pain, he noticed it and he felt it in his gut. And I, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but Jesus knows what you're going through and he cares for it more than you can even imagine. And he sees your pain, and he hears your cries, and he knows that you feel desperate. He knows about those moments where you just can't seem to catch a break. He sees those moments when your heart starts pounding so hard, and the anxiety that's overwhelming, and and you're barely able to find the breath to even move forward. And Jesus sees it, and he knows your pain, and he experiences it internally. He knows it when you can't seem to find that job and and you're anxious and you're frustrated and you're afraid. He notices and he cares. And in the same way, Jesus is grieving for this mom and he's hurting for this mom and he comes alongside of her and in that grief, he has compassion. And then Jesus does something that I think is probably about the most brave thing a guy could ever do. He walks up to a woman that's crying and he says, don't cry. (laughs) I mean, we just finished a series called Follow the Leader, right? And I'm thinking, fellas, you got to be careful on this one. Like, ladies crying don't appreciate being told, don't cry. The advantage for Jesus is he knows he can fix the issue, Right, He knows he can actually make the situation better. So guys, if you know for sure, for sure, if you are 100% sure that you can fix the situation, that you can change it, and that you can make it, go ahead and try the don't cry. But if you can't fix it, tread very carefully with don't cry. But Jesus says, don't cry. And then he walks over to the coffin and he does something. doesn't sound too crazy to us, but he touched the coffin. And when you touched the coffin, everything stops. Everything stops. And what's so interesting is, in that particular time, a, a coffin wouldn't look like what we know as a coffin. You know, our coffins are all pretty, and they've got sides, and they've got lids, and all this. Generally, the coffin at this point would just be a flat piece of wood attached to some wheels. kind of looks like a buggy, and a couple people pulling it along. And the body would typically just be laying on top of the coffin, oftentimes exposed, maybe with a little sheet over it or something like that. And Jesus goes over, and he touches the coffin, and in that moment, it is literally shocking. This is, this is a completely scandalous moment. Like, this is an unheard of situation, and the crowd would have collectively gasped. Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would have been outraged by this move. The Pharisees, they managed the religious laws and the rules, and they were more concerned about the outside and how you did things and what you did than the inside of what was going on. And so in this moment, they were more worried about what Jesus was doing than what Jesus was feeling. They were so worried about being incredibly religious, and there were so many opportunities to be religious In fact, there was about 613 distinct and strict laws, and one of those laws was don't touch a dead body. Okay, I can get along with that one, but but it was not only don't touch a dead body, but don't touch anything that's touched a dead body. So don't touch a dead body, don't touch anything that touches a dead body, which I start to think, how far do we roll this out? If the boy's body is touching the coffin, and then the coffin is touching the ground, and then the ground is touching my sandals, and my sandals are touching my feet, it's, it's sort of like the, lava, the floor is lava game. Like, what can you touch? And when you touch a dead body, or something that has touched a dead body, in that moment, you become unclean. So Jesus, the individual that is claiming to be the Son of God, the holy, righteous Son of God, touches something, and in that moment, he should have become spiritually unclean, but he doesn't. And Jesus touched the coffin and he crossed the line. Jesus was continually displaying that he was a line crosser, that he was a rule breaker. Not because he wanted to break rules, but he recognized that religion oftentimes draws lines and draws barriers and draws rules. And those rules oftentimes keep people at a distance from God. And Jesus again and again and again was willing to go beyond the lines to demonstrate his love for the people that were held at a distance from God. He was a line crosser. He was a rule breaker anytime those lines and those rules of religion would keep people from God. And the tragedy is that so many people today feel that same pressure. And people resist church because of legalism and hypocrisy. And religion, it, it's done with good intentions, but the idea is to draw lines to make it look like you're religious. And if that bothers you about church, the good news is that it bothered Jesus. Jesus didn't let any line or external rule keep him from wanting to help others experience the love and grace and power of God. That's why as a church, we don't draw lines to keep people out. In fact, we're going to cross lines to bring people in. That's what we're going to do. And I'm not saying that, that, that people can just do whatever they want. We're not saying that sin isn't an issue. And we aren't saying that people, including us, don't need God to make us right. That is totally what we need, and we need to understand that. And we need to understand that the sin in our lives needs to be rectified. But what we aren't going to do is allow the sin in people's lives to keep them at a distance from experiencing who God is. We're going to cross the lines and spread the love and spread the mercy and spread the hope and forgiveness that Jesus offers. And Jesus offers, in this moment, he ignores the religious policy and he touches the coffin. And and maybe his hand even slips and he touches the boy. We don't know. But basically Jesus was saying there are no boundaries, there are no rules, there are no laws that are going to keep Jesus from expressing the depth of compassion that he felt for somebody that was hurting. And so just imagine the crowd when Jesus touches I mean, again, this is scandalous. And if people were walking along, if they weren't paying attention, they were like, look, 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 look. And all of a sudden, everybody makes this big gasp, and then the more amazing gasp happens where the boy sits up and takes a breath and starts talking. And all of it happened because Jesus touched the coffin and then said a few simple words and everything changed. The touch and the connection with this boy and the whole situation changed. And somebody that's listening today needs to know that. That that you just need a touch. Just a touch from the the giver of life. A a touch from the individual that can bring the dead back to life. A touch, a moment, a word, a sense that, that not only is Jesus with you, he cares. And he's willing to stay with you through that situation. And so for this boy whose mom was now grieving, it was just one touch. And my prayer, if you're watching online this morning, and maybe you've come to church for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time ever, is that somehow this morning there was one moment, or one word, or one song, or one prayer, where you sensed the goodness of God, and God crossing the line of the barrier that's caused you to feel separated from Him. And know that God wants to cross those lines, and with one touch, Tell you that he cares and for you to know that jesus cares about what you're going through i mean it's almost impossible to fully understand what this lady was going through i mean this widow that's grieving this mother in the moment right before all of this happens she literally has nothing and then jesus touches the coffin says a few words and everything changes and jesus ultimately it says and jesus gave him back to his mother this is so huge Obviously, this mom is sad, and obviously, she misses the relationship with this with this boy. But it's so much more than that. Because in this particular culture, for a woman, not to have a husband and not to have a son meant she had no future. She had no hope. In this particular culture, if you didn't have a husband, if you didn't have a son, it meant you had no way to support yourself. And as crazy as it sounds, and with everything that we, you know, what we know today... Women at this moment, they weren't allowed to make a living. They weren't allowed to have a career. She literally has no way to feed herself. She literally has no way to provide shelter for herself. She has two options, actually. One, she can just become a full-time beggar and sit by the road and hope that people would care for her for the rest of their life and throw a few coins in. Or her other option is decide to become a prostitute and use her body and hope to generate income, to eat, and provide a place for her to live. That's her moment. That's her reality up until this moment, until Jesus, with one touch, puts life back into her boy. And as he gives back the boy, he brings hope. And it's my prayer today for some of you that feel anxious, and afraid, and bitter, and irritated, or maybe unsettled like me. My prayer is that you would begin to understand and grasp that Jesus gives hope back to us when we are hurting. Jesus is the one that gives hope back to us when we are hurting. That just one touch, God can bring back hope. And I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know your pain or your frustration or your concern or your doubt or your loneliness. Here's what I know. This has not been an easy year for me. I mean, literally never in the history of their church has there been more uncertainty on how to lead a church. Never have more people questioned every single decision that's made. Never have the guidelines for church and how a church should function and what is allowed and what is not allowed been more fluid. Never have people had more ideas on which guidelines should be followed and which guidelines are a lack of faith for not fighting for our religious freedom. Like it Never has there been more separation and distance experienced by pastors and the people that are the church. And it's nobody's fault, it's just the reality. I mean, here's the real There are people that are actually now attending Silver Creek that I have never seen in person. I've never met them. And there are also people that have left Silver Creek because they believe we're doing things wrong. And some of them, we don't even know they've left. And in the middle of all that, there's so much unknown and so much not knowing. And when the future doesn't look like there's anything, what we need more than anything in that moment is to recognize that we're not alone. And in our hurt and in our sense of desperation, Jesus sees us and he notices. And my prayer is that you would hear that Jesus sees your pain, sees that you're hurting, and he's moved with overwhelming compassion. That he's overwhelmed with where you're at. He's overwhelmed with compassion and with one touch Jesus may not change your situation. He may not fix the situation. He might change your perspective. There might be just one simple improvement to a bigger situation. There may just be one little small gift that comes into your life. It may be a conversation with a friend. It may just be a a moment where you notice something different. Because hope doesn't mean everything is right and everything is better. Hope simply means that now we have the opportunity to face the future knowing that Jesus sees us and he's gonna go through it with us. So we have to choose to open our eyes And maybe the hope, maybe the touch was simply that you were here this morning. And that you heard this message, and you heard that Jesus has not forgotten you. And that he's right there with you, and he understands your emotions. And every week we try to challenge you with some next steps. So this morning, as you think about what we've talked about, and you think about what you're going through, what is your next step? Maybe your next step this morning is to remind yourself that God sees us and loves us, even during tough times. Maybe your next step is to identify the hurt you need Jesus to touch. Maybe your next step is to choose to be alert to where Jesus might use you to bring hope to others. Maybe your next step is to pray each day, asking God to give you hope in the places that you're hurting. Wherever it is, whatever you're going through, I would just encourage you to take that next step. If there's a way that we can be praying for you, feel free to uh, put that on your Connect card or send us an email. We would love to be praying for you as God is working. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for this incredible story and the response that you displayed. Jesus, thank you so much that you, you see our pain, you notice our pain. You recognize the emotions that we go through and the hurt that we oftentimes live with. Jesus, would we allow you, would we allow you to just simply give us that touch, that moment, where we experience that you care about us, that you want to walk us through whatever we're going through, that you want to help us understand just how amazing you are. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.